Hello and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Raziel and my guest today is Rob Narvez. He's the Vice President of Sports Marketing and Partnerships at Expert Meetings and Events. He played college and minor league baseball. He's a huge Mets fan, which was awesome. He also had stops at Spalding, Under Armour, Authentic Brands, New Era, some of these incredible places. And we even get to talk about Raekwon, the chef from the Wu-Tang Clan, which I love 36 Chambers, probably one of my favorite CDs ever. So, Please enjoy this episode with Robert Narvis. All right, today I'm for the love of sports. I have Rob Narvez. He's the vice president of sports marketing and partnerships at Expert Meetings and Events. Played baseball in college as well as some independent league balls along the way, which is a fun story. Also a very big Mets fan. It's excited about that and also had stops at Spalding, Under Armour, Authentic Brands, New Era. We'll get into all of those, but Rob, how are you today? I'm doing great, Michael. Thanks for having me. The pleasure, I promise you, is all mine. I've never had the opportunity to work with Raekwon the Chef, so I will uh, I will default to you on that one and hope one day that I can get to uh, those heights and those levels. But, Rob, the first question I have for everybody on the For the Love of Sports podcast is, sure. why do you love sports so much? Ah, oh, man, it's it's just, it's probably always been a part of, of my makeup. You know, growing up, I grew up on Long Island and growing up with, you know, my father and cousins and everyone were huge Met fans and we kind of have that in common. Um, if you lived in my household, you were a Met fan and an anti-Yankee fan. So, you know, to this day, my father calls me twice a day during the summertime. He'll call me when the Mets win and he'll call me when the Yankees lose. So sometimes I'll get two calls. Sometimes I'll get one call. Sometimes I won't get a call at all. So to this day, my father still uh, still is that huge Met fan. And, uh, you know, he gives it to the Yankees every chance he gets. I love that, man. I, exact same thing in my family. Uh, we're There's two games that we watch every night. It would be we're watching the Mets because we want them to win. And when they go to commercial, we turn on the Yankees. And it was always so confusing to me when I was younger. It's like, Mom, why are we, we hate the Yankees? She's like, I know we're going to root against them. I was like, I don't get this, but OK. <laughs> and I've done the exact same thing ever since. Once the Mets go to commercial, I click previous yeah. or last, whatever the clicker I have at the time says and watch the Yankees and boo the heck out of them. So uh, we are we are right there together, man. I promise you that. That's funny. My, uh, I have two little girls. When my first daughter was born. We were down in Baltimore. I worked at Under Armour for, for about seven, eight years. And we were down in Baltimore. Both my daughters were born in Baltimore. And, you know, we didn't share a lot of the stories when, you know, when we were, when my wife Elena was, was giving birth. And one of the first gifts we got were in the hospital. And we had a little knock on the door and it was a bouquet of flowers. And it said, congratulations, love the New York Yankees. Very sweet. And again, the Yankees do things differently. They are just a different organization and you either love them or hate them, but you got to respect them. Yes. And I know, the second them. gift we got, we certainly, tell, we certainly didn't tell a lot of people her name. And it was, you know, welcome to the world, Alexa. And a card was signed by George and Joan Steinbrenner. So the funny story about that was my father looked at the card again, being that huge Met fan, anti-Yankee fan. He said, yeah, I guess this is okay. So nice little, uh, you know, tip of the cap to the Yankees. They just do things a very special way. 
Yeah, I think the reason I hate him so much is out of envy and jealousy, if we're being very honest. Uh, they always do things better and more correctly, and they, they're not in the news for all the dumb stuff. They're, all, they're always in the news for everything that they're doing right. So it is very frustrating to, uh, to sit here and, and just watch all the things the Mets do incorrectly and just think, like, why can't just they wrote the playbook? They wrote it. All you have to do is just follow it. It's not that hard, but the Mets are always in their way. And we will, as I see in the background, you have a sweet Pete Alonzo jersey. So you're going to be there with me. But again, hopefully uh, sooner rather than later, they'll uh, sell the team and they'll figure that thing out. I don't know. I don't know if you're allowed to comment on that. So maybe we'll just kind of jump past that. Yeah. <laughs> Say it again. No, I said that's that's just funny. You know, we this is this is the team that we live and die with, right? Um, good, bad, and different. Um, there are Mets, right? They're not anybody else's Mets. There are Mets. <laughs> exactly. There are Mets and we did it to ourselves. So yeah, I do want to hop into you playing baseball a little bit. Obviously that means it's been, you know, with it being in your family for so long and then you be eventually making it yeah. to the point of playing, getting into the independent league a little bit, potentially to the minors. I mean, tell me what it was like, you know, coming out of college and, you know, not quite getting drafted and, and still wanting that opportunity to play because so many people want to go out on their own terms, right? So what was it like going and playing a little independent ball for a little while? Um, you know, it really just, uh, it's just that fire within, you know, we talked about sports and growing up with sports and you're always, you have that competitive nature, competitive nature from, from early on. And that's what I had, um, you know, playing little league baseball, playing college baseball, playing a little afterwards, you know, that drive just, just doesn't, just doesn't go away. So, um, you know, even when I'm working in the business world, I look towards those people with the competitive edge or a competitive fire and really sports drives that. So it's really, I think it's, it's, it's intrinsic. It's, you know, kind of a personal feeling where people just love and live sports and it kind of um, elevates them to different things moving on in life. And it certainly did that with me. And so what, how much fun did you have playing independent ball? I've heard, I've heard both sides of the spectrum. Some people loved every second of it. And some people by the third week, they're like, what the yeah. hell am I doing here? Well, it's funny. I have an interesting story. So when I played, I played in St. Louis and played in a little town called Wentzville, Missouri, right outside of St. Louis. And our team, we were the St. Lake St. Louis Independents. And I lived on a farm with 16 other guys. So we would, um, you know, in a house, 16 guys, you know, our team consisted of 24, 25 guys, and some guys were local. But in order to kind of make extra money, we would work the farm. So, you know, we'd wake up five, six o'clock in the morning and we would feed the cows and we would bale the hay and just the things you do on a farm. Um, I, to this day, I tell a story that I helped deliver a calf when I was, you know, when I was playing baseball, the delivered a calf on the farm. So after our chores were done, this was what we would do to make extra money. Come seven, eight o'clock, we'd start infield. So the, we had two multiple fields on the farm. We had an infield. So we would do our farm work and then it was baseball all day, every day. And you would, you know, start, start the day, start your baseball day about eight o'clock in the morning. You'd go till about one, two, have a little lunch, hit the cages, and then we would literally get in a van and travel, travel the kind of the Midwest. We're in Illinois and, and Missouri and just all those little states in the surrounding area, and that's what we would do, and that was our lives for, for the season. It was pretty interesting, pretty unique. That is awesome, man. Yeah, you in Sports Illustrated, I don't, again, many, many years ago, but we did have a nice little write-up in Sports Illustrated. It was pretty cool. That is hilarious. I mean, just you're never going to get those days back for for better and for worse. But it's just cool to be able to have those memories and kind of just the crazy things you did. I mean, 16 guys in a house right off the bat. That just sounds that sounds like something else. Now that you add on top of it that you're 
you know, helping a midwife for calves or whatever the correct term is like that doesn't, that never ever happens in a million years. So I think that it is awesome. Amazing. And then keep yeah. going. Yeah. Just an amazing experience. Our, our coach um, was a gentleman by the name of Ron Hunt. Ron Hunt was a, I think a 14 uh, year major league vet. Um, he was rookie of the year, runner up to Pete Rose in 1963. He was the Mets first second baseman. I should say second 1963 started with the Mets. Um, but just a, a great man, a field general, probably learning more about the game from him than anybody else. Um, just an amazing experience between him and his wife, who was our caretaker. She lived on the farm as well. Jackie, just a shout out to Jackie. It was an amazing experience. I love it. It's just too funny. Just thinking about, you know, just a bunch of 20 something year old guys just working on a farm on in the morning, then going to play baseball the rest of the day. It just sounds fantastic. And then, so I know you kind of already told me the story on what happened and, and why you had to leave your baseball career, but if you don't mind telling it for everybody else, so we can understand, I guess the reason why you got into the business side of, of sports and baseball as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Every, anyone who's played a sport and, and at different levels of sports, you know, everyone has that story. Everyone has that dream of playing in college and then from college into the, the professional aspect. And I remember being on a field at second base, base hit up the middle, rounding third base, tripped on the base, fell forward and shattered my elbow. Um, and that was, again, that was the end of, of my career. Um, and we had talked about it earlier, you know, back in the day where, where mo modern technology is now in the field of sports, you know, that could have been fixed and you'd be back on the field in a short amount of time. But, you know, I'm not that old, but back in the day, you know, you just didn't have that technology, you know, little things like that, arm injuries, especially, you know, you have a twitch here and a, and a twinge there and, you know, that could be a career. So that certainly happened to me and, you know, a trip of a trip on the bag and in my career. And it's unfortunate. Everyone's got man. a story. Exactly. Yeah. I was just about to say it's unfortunate, but you're, you're, uh, you're, you're a statistic at that point because you talk to anybody that played minor league baseball, they all would have made it if they had the opportunity or if they so, didn't get hurt or some sort of case like that. But no, of course, I mean, again, you know, it's unfortunate, right? But Hey, you're here now. You, you made it, man. You're on a podcast with me. I mean, how much better could it possibly get? I, mean, I think I've, I've, I've arrived. To say the <laughs> least, to say the least, man. I love it. And so, so with that, like what, with having to kind of, with essentially being forced to leave the sport, was there any, like lingering effect was was that a reason why you got into the business aspect of sports kind of not being able to go out on your own term or was it always a goal of yours to eventually you know once your baseball career was over to uh, you know work in some sort of uh capacity in the world of sports you know and i think it was always always a, a drive you know whether you're in the game or around the game uh, again for the love of the game you want to do something um with with in a field that you love, right? Some people say all the time, if, if you love what you do, you're not really working a day in your life. And that's kind of what I wanted to do after I played, which again was a long time ago. Um, I wanted to stay in and around the game of sports um, and just make friends through the process, playing sports, amateur, collegiate, professional, whatever it may be, you make these relationships. But I think that carries through anything that I've done is really the relationships that I've, that I've had the opportunity to create or, or be part of. Um, and it just kind of drives you to the next phase of your life, which it happened with me. You know, I had some uh, some people that were in and around the game with Major League Baseball and especially Little League Baseball. And I think after that, one of my first jobs was with Little League Baseball. So, you know, you're you're playing and then ultimately you get the chance to you know, play again. So um, the people that helped you along the way in your career and in, in your baseball side, um, it's time to give back. And I think that's something that I've learned very early in my career is about giving back. 
And um, I think I did that with my first job at Little League Baseball. Really enjoyed it. And so what are, you know, as I was telling you before, kind of before we hopped on, you know, Little League was just kind of that thing that was always there, right? Like my parents play Little League and, you know, it's just kind of always been there. So you just make sure you're at the field at six o'clock on Tuesdays and Thursdays, you play your game and you go home. Like, what does the business side of Little League look like and, and how exactly, what exactly did you do there? <laughs> it's funny, coming up around that time, Little League became, uh, you know, a big business, right? Um, when I found out that their marketing department at the time, probably back in the early 2000s, their marketing department was on Madison Avenue. So you think, you know, now everything's been brought in house, but they had a marketing team that was on, on Madison Avenue. And you realize this is now they're part of the business of sports. Um, you know, they're, they're creating the game itself, but there's so much business around it. And again, that's like anything now in these days that sports is really the hub, right? It's the connector. It's the connector between the fans and the players, the players and organizations, the organizations and cities. It really is just that facilitator. So, you know, you really have sports at the hub and everything kind of makes that 360 degree approach, especially now, um, how big the business of sports has become. It is. Uh, it's very impressive, kind of, especially youth sports. I mean, I think if I'm not mistaken, youth sports is a billion dollar industry just by itself already. So it's just, you know, the amount of money and time and effort and energy. I mean, you always think about some of those crazy parents, and I'm sure you've talked to a few of them in some capacity. But it's just, you know, it's always very interesting to me to kind of see something as uh, harmless. Maybe that's not the best word as Little League Sports, just realizing, wait, their marketing department was on Madison Avenue. Like that's that's kind of eye opening, I guess, for lack of a better term. And and so with that being, I guess, your first jump and your first leap into the sports world in terms on the business end, what exactly did you learn in those first few years, those first few stops along the way that you were then able to carry on throughout your career at places again, like Under Armour, Authentic Brands and, and New Era Caps? Um, I think it was competition being number one. You know, you always want to strive to be the best at what you do. Um, you do that in this in the sports world, and then you kind of do that in business. Um, so really using the the principles of sport, I think, um, has really driven me to to the positions I've had. I think um, starting with Spalding, um, my goal with Spalding was to bring baseball back to the Major League Diamond. So Spalding was, you know, a hundred year old brand. They were the official baseball for a hundred years, from 1876 to 1976 before Rawlings. Not a lot of people know this, but Spalding was the official Major League Baseball. Um, and then in the 80s, they kind of dropped off the map. So when I came on board in the early 2000s, again, there was so much history in the in the brand and, the, and obviously the sport, but the brand itself being, you know, a 100-year-old company. So my job was to, to bring it back to the Major League Baseball field. So all those things that you, you, you kind of do as a youth and you drive that competition and you drive that sports and sportsmanship um, through sport, you kind of do that through business. Um, so again, it was a fun time to really say, Hey, let's take this hundred year old company or this hundred year old brand. Let's bring it back to where it was, you know, again, being that first baseball company, it was America's first baseball company. So when I started there, it was just fun to, to talk to people who were in the game in the, in the fifties, in the sixties, in the seventies. And I remember talking to a lot of old Yankees, uh, Bucky Dent was a huge Spalding guy. And it was, it was fun to hear stories about Spalding from him. And you talk to these old guys, you know, I would work on the Major League Baseball field, but I would probably gravitate more towards the coaches because I wanted to understand more about the company that I'm just about to embark in. So 
this guy would tell me my first cleat was a pair of, of Spaldings. My first glove was a pair of Spaldings. So, um, you know, it was just, it was great to be able to hear the history and the heritage and then take that brand and bring it into almost, you know, into a new era with, with at the time in the early 2000s was, um, let's bring this back onto the Major League Baseball field. So again, youth sports really driving that determination, that camaraderie, that sportsmanship, all the things that you talk about as a kid in Little League Baseball. I'll tell you, man, that really stuck with me throughout my life. And really for my love of baseball, everything that I've been able to do has been in and around or touch, you know, the sport, which has been, you know, my passion for forever, really. That's got to be so much fun, man. Just just being able to do stuff like that, talk to all those incredible people, those coaches, those athletes, those former athletes, kind of what they're doing. And I'm sure you probably had a boatload of fun just being able to tie the the past to the present, what's going on, what was going on, all types of things like that. I'll, I'll be honest, I had no idea that Spalding was the you know official baseball for a hundred years. Like that's such yeah. a story that you can tell and connect that and pull those heartstrings and the nostalgia yeah. and all that stuff. So that must have been an absolute blast. And Especially with that, you bring that up now. If I'm not mistaken, Spalding just actually became the uh, official basketball of the NBA again, um, or is taking over for Wilson. If I'm not mistaken, right? No. So that's their last kind of reach into the sports world. They were holding on to basketball. They became a basketball company. They always were. So in 1983, they became the official NBA basketball. Oh. Up until this year, so they'll okay. be ending their their contract. Um, you know, Spalding went through kind of some challenging times. Um, they, again, hundred year old company, they were born in, uh, Chicopee in Springfield, Massachusetts. They were bought by Russell corporation, um, <clears throat> years ago. And then Russell was purchased. So Spalding kind of got pushed around a couple of times. Um, and they had, they were focusing more on, uh, the cloth side of the business when Russell took over. So the baseball side of the business, just kind of, you know, after you're building it up and that was my job for, you know, six, seven years. Um, it just kind of lost its luster. And, you know, at that time, the opportunity was uh, Spalding, all Spalding employees were moving down to um, uh, Atlanta, Georgia. So that was my opportunity to uh, to start looking at other places. And that's when Under Armour came knocking on the door, which was uh, which was a great opportunity. One of the best uh, experiences of my life. I love it. So I got my information mixed up. Spalding is losing that contract. Sorry, I thought they took it over, but whoops. Um, but hey. <laughs> It is what it is. They give you an incredible, you know, half decade, if not more. You got to learn so much. You got to connect to a lot of people in the sport that you absolutely. love so much, too, which I think is just absolutely incredible. And then, as you said, Under Armour came knocking. You clearly did some really great stuff over at Spalding. So what was I mean, what were the eight years at Under Armour like, especially when they were just on a massive rise at the time? Now it's it's a little, you know, we'll see what happens. But, you know, at the time you were there, it must have just been so much fun just getting to do so, so much. Yeah. Um, just to touch on Spalling for a second, you know, it was really my introduction into into the business of sports. You know, um, I think on your shows, you talk about mentors a lot. And I've, and I've had some really good ones. Um, probably my, my number one and number two is a, a gentleman by the name of Carl Ferraro, who really got me started in the sports world. He took a chance on me when I was coming from Little League Baseball. And uh, he, he taught me he taught me the ropes. You know, it's it's a great thing to have mentors. Um and I'll tell you, just finishing up Michael ja Michael Michael Jordan's um, series, the you know the Last Dance. You look at the people where people play at such a high level, or they're in the business world at such a high level. You know there are people behind that to get them to where they are. And you know between Carl Ferraro being one, probably my number one mentor, Ray Negron, who uh, is another one of my mentors. Um, you know Ray Negron is still working for the New York Yankees. He's been with the Yankee organization for over thirty years. Uh, but those are really two people that have. Um, 
that have always been in my corner, um, always believed in me, but really got me started in this business. That is awesome, man. And you're, you're, you're totally so, right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, you know, I was going to say you're totally right. I mean, we do talk about um, mentors a lot and they do always come up and really just the relationships and the networking and understanding. I mean, what was it, you know, coming from, you know, minor, you know, uh, independent ball, going to Little League baseball. And then, you know, what was it that you did to set yourself apart that one of these gentlemen would say, you know what? Hey, let's let's bring on Rob. He knows what he's doing. I think this will be a this will be a, a smart opportunity on our part. Yeah, you know, it's something that this is something I've always kept with me. And it was one of my coaches that that says or that said to me, you know, play like you, you never know who's watching. That's kind of that's kind of the point. You never know who's watching. So bust your butt in everything that you do, whether it be on the field, whether it be off the field, um, always play and always work like someone else is watching. So just always do your job, do what you're supposed to do, but something even more. So just go above and beyond go that extra mile, do that extra sprint, you know, do that extra hour um, on, on a report or something like that. Just, you know, I think everything that I do always has a sports analogy. It's just, it's inherited in, in my body. My jokes are sports. My, you know, my analogies are sports. So it really is, you know, play like somebody's watching. You never know who's watching you. So just play like, uh, like someone else is watching you. And like it's the same thing in the business world. Just do what you're supposed to do and just do that extra mile, you know? That's Sports all it takes always sometimes. gives you that innate ability to, you know, to 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 strive or drive to be better in everything you do. And I've kind of always held that hold that near and dear to my heart. That's a great way to go about it, right? Just doing a little bit more than what's asked of you because you want to, though, right? It's not like it was. I'm sure at times it would have been right. nice to go home a little earlier or do you know go hang out with your friends on the weekend. But at the same time, understandings like, well, you know, you're going to be doing this career for the rest of your life. You can hang out with your friends whenever you want at that point. So I think that that's really cool and looking at that. And again, it's just, it's so important for people to understand that, especially in an industry like sports where the supply and the demand are so high, you're going to have to do a lot to set yourself apart. You're going to have to be somebody that shows everyone around you, whether they're watching or not. One of those times they will be watching you and you don't know which time it's going to be, right? So make sure all the time you're working harder because that will resonate and a lot of other people will see that 100%. Absolutely. Agree. Good for you. Good for you, man. Yeah. Good for you. Absolutely killing cool. it. So a- after Spalding, as you said, you went to Under Armour. So you spent almost an entire decade in yeah. Under Armour. So good for you there, man. And as I was saying yeah. before, it was kind yeah. of when Under Armour was just totally like Nike. I don't know if they were ever scared. I worked at Nike. They told us never to work it on, never to worry about Under Armour, but I'm not sure. I think, I think they got scared for a hot second there. And then, so what, um, what was it like working at Under Armour during this time where, everything was just going nuts and there was just so, so, so much happening in that space. Yeah, it was, it was an unbelievable time. I started there in 2008 and I was employee number 614, which sounds, you know, sounds like a lot, but you know, upwards there are upwards of, you know, 15,000 employees, I think something crazy like that. So um, it was, it was kind of almost like flying by the seat of your pants, you know, everything was new. Um, you know, we were challenged every every year to grow 30% and it happened, you know, and so it was like, what's next? How do you do this? How do you grow this much? And it, it was just, it was almost like being in college because a lot of the people that were there were, they were young, you know, coming out of college, a lot of former athletes, a lot of people that had that, you know, a type personality, that go-go personality. So a lot of like-minded people. Um, the, the goal for the company was really the marching orders from, from the CEO at the time was Kevin Blank. And 
he really got everyone rallied to to march to that same beat, right? Follow that same path. Um, and it was just a super, super exciting time, you know, um, you know, starting in 2008. But uh, it, it was a crazy time. It was uh, everything, everything incorporated. It was just, uh, it was an amazing time. And what were some of like, I guess, more specifically, what were some of the projects that you were working on that, I mean, over an eight year period, you're, you're able to really kind of mm-hmm. put your handprint and your fingerprints on and, you know, grow from, you know, as you said, employee number 614 sure. to 15,000. Yeah. When I started there, I was, uh, I took over the, the most mature business, which was base layer. So that was really the introduction of Under Armour into the market. Um, you know, it really started with a tight t-shirt, you know, I, it was it, it was one t-shirt. This company was born from Kevin Plank and it was born out of an idea of creating a, a t-shirt, something that'll make you better, something that'll wick sweat away from you. You know, just this one, you know, kind of silhouetted idea became this massive company. So started there working on the, the performance based layer side. Um, and then again, for my love of sports, you know, as the years go on, you're wearing a lot of different hats, you know, so you're probably wearing 10 different hats at one time. And then my love of, of team sports got me into that business as well. So then I started from the base layer side and then worked team sports and, I did everything from building, um, you know, products for baseball, lacrosse, um, ice hockey, softball, all all different team sports, um, and to the retail side. So you would see the products that that I created with other, you know, cross-functional team members in Dick Sporting Goods or at the time Sports Authority or Models or things like that. Um, and again, so that that was early on. And then you start getting into other sides of the business. You get into the collegiate side of the business, and then you're building products for colleges and universities you're building uh product for pro teams so from building product then you get onto the marketing side of the business and you're really ultimately telling stories you know you first of all you're telling the under armor story right all things make you better all these products are making you better and then you're creating brand partnerships so you're telling brand stories between you know the university of notre dame and under armor and these two brands coming together to become one so at the heart of it it's really about storytelling um, but also making some badass product to back up those stories and those uh, those claims. I will be hundred percent honest with you. I completely forgot about the actual Under Armour that that shirt. Like, I mean, that's why we all got it. You know, in two, whatever it was when I was playing Little League, we'll go back there. It's just crazy that like, yeah. now this entire I completely forgot that that was like the whole thing it was based on. That's the uh, you did a great job at, at telling the rest of the story, man. So good for you. Congrats. <laughs> I'll tell you, when I first started, it was it was kind of a crash course because their sole focus was on making athletes better. So in order to make an athlete better, you need to understand what goes on inside the body, um, the, the prior perceptive motions and, you know, what makes an athlete run faster or jump higher or, 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 or things like that. So you're really going back to school and understanding what makes the body work and then ultimately building products to enhance that performance, to enhance a runner's motion, to enhance, you know, a pitcher's motion. Some of the products you come up with, you know, you, you fail, you probably fail more times than, than you succeed, which is a good thing. Um, so there's, there's a lot of products that I've created or, or, you know, had the ability to have a hand in creating that didn't make it off the chopping room floor, you know, um, making products for pitchers, making products um, for football players, you know, padded protective products, it was just, it was an exciting time and, and just so happy to be a part of it, made lifelong uh, friendships and relationships along the way. And again, just carried me through my career. 
And how cool is it that a company as big as Under Armour, and again, you know, this is a little while ago, so you know, they were kind of on 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 the come up, on the rise. How cool is it that they would? It sounds like they kind of encouraged you not to fail, of course, but they encourage you to create product and try new ideas and try new things. Like how empowering was that in that aspect of the business, but then also, uh, you know, in just the the marketing aspect and the team aspect and the collegiate aspect in whatever you tried to do sure. while you were at the company. Oh, absolutely. You know, they encourage you to fail because if you're, if you're not failing, you're not trying and you're not going, you're not thinking outside the box, right? You know, you never want to be too safe. Um, we would say that the athlete has a table at everything that we did. So, um, that's one of the reasons why, you know, Under Armour and a lot of these sport companies do have athletes, you know, not just athletes, but, you know, they have a very large number of former athletes as part of their staff. Um, you know, our job is to understand the athlete, understand what he goes through and what she goes through um, and ultimately create these products. But at the, I would say, however, at the same time, you're looking towards these athletes for feedback. You know, you're going into the, the baseball fields and spring trainings and, you know, the NFL combine and, and places like that to really get these top tier athletes and say, here, try this. I made this for this reason. Tell me what you think. You may get a response back and say, this is the worst thing that I've ever seen. Well, that's a failure. Let me go back to the drawing board. But, you know, it's it's a case study a, a lot of times and you've got to, uh, you know, find good people to work with and find good organizations to work with. And it really was that camaraderie and bringing people together for, for that common good. And that was ultimately Under, Mar Under Armour's, you know, marching orders was, was to make athletes better. And you do that by, you know, by using their um, their understanding, um, and, and their expertise really. And so we got to ask what, what are some of the products you did hit on? Some of the products that we did hit on. So a lot of it was, you know, fashion driven, but you're really trying to create authenticity in the things that you do. So, um, there was football product, uh, padded protective product where, and it became from a football standpoint, it went into other sports, um, there were products where you're using proprietary information and, and, and components to create padded protective pieces that you could literally take a hammer and hit this thing. And then kind of the, the, the impact would disperse through this, um, through this material, which is just, I mean, the stories would, I can go on and on about all the different materials that we used and um, the, the, the partners uh, overseas and domestically where you're coming together and, you know, the technology can maybe not just be in a pad, but it can be as fine as a thread. So it's just, you know, the technology in, uh, in impact was, was huge, was huge. Um, and then you're testing again, you talk about testing on, um, on professional athletes. Um, you and I touched upon this one story. I had a, I had a, a letter come across my desk um, one year and it was from a mother said, um, she says, I forgot how she got my information, but the, the letter came to her. She says, hi, my name is Jessica. And, um, I have an eight-year-old son, and his favorite thing to do is to play baseball. Unfortunately, he's going through cancer treatments, and he has a port in his chest, and that's where he gets his medication from. And she says, does Under Armour have any type of product that would help him to be able to play the sport? Um, the problem was the port couldn't take any impact, so she was looking for a particular product. Um, I called her immediately, and I said, listen, why don't we let's, – let's kind of make this – let's make this a day. So Jessica and her son, Dylan, and, and the father came into, they were from Virginia and they came into the, to the office and it was just a special day for him and his mother, but probably more so for me. Um, Dylan has become my buddy since then. 
And uh, that particular day, we took him on a tour of the campus. He went to, you know, the design lab and worked with designers. He went to the footwear lab and he worked with the people making professional footwear for, you know, Cam Newton and people like that. Um, but ultimately, what I wanted to do was to get him into our, our studios and create something for him. So ultimately, with this padded protective product we were just talking about, we created a specific shirt for Dylan and we put it on him and we actually traced, I put my hand over where the port was and we traced uh, a spot to protect that port. Ultimately, what we did is we made a padded protective shirt specifically for Dylan that had pads in certain areas, but had a specific pad over that port. Um, we got a couple of samples in, we fit him like he was a professional athlete. We did measurements and, um, you know, we got the shirts in and his doctor signed off on it. He was eight years old at the time. And the doctor said, yeah, you're good to go. He can play baseball with this. And Dylan to this day, he's a, he's a healthy, I believe he's got to be, he's probably about 13 years old now, 12, 13 years old now, if not older. Um, and I've stayed in touch with him and his mother ever since this, I think this was in 2003 three. Um, so yeah, he's healthy and it's just little things like that with this organization helped uh, to, to, to allow this kid to play, to play baseball. I love it, man. I think that's so incredible. Yeah. I mean, just the opportunity, you know, yeah. you, I mean, you, I'm sure you could have read that letter and been like, wow, you know, let's hear, here's a shirt or here's a sweatshirt. Sorry, we can't do anything. But as you said, play like no one's watching. So you took it way above and beyond. You turned it into something and now you have a lifelong friend in, in, in this entire family. Absolutely. You have friends in this entire family and you literally changed this kid's life. Like, I mean, just having that opportunity. But, you know, a lot of people have that opportunity. They probably don't see it. You actually took advantage of it. You executed upon it, which I think is incredible and just speaks to, you know, you being a good person, right? Like you took time out of your day and did what you could to help this little kid, this eight year old kid, just try and play baseball, the sport you loved growing up so much and the sport you played. Um, you knew what it was like when it was taken Absolutely. away from you, right? So you want to make sure that it doesn't happen to him either. And I think that's an incredible, man. And I do love that story. It definitely, you know, tingles some tears. I, I think it's fantastic. <laughs> and again, I think it's those mentors that you have, you know, again, I talked, I talked about Raina Grown and he's probably taught me more about humility and giving back than any other person um, outside of my mother and father. Um, but to this day, I mean, I know he's out right now and he's, and he's, you know, serving people that are less fortunate and he's been wearing a mask every day for the last three weeks and delivering food in the Bronx and in Queens and Long Island. Um, and, uh, you know, that's just something that I've learned from him. I love it. Surround yourself with good people. Yeah. And, uh, you know, hopefully I can surround myself That's with you cool. a little more often when the world gets back to normal. Maybe I'll grab you that beer uh, when we get back into the city one of these days. And so so you worked at Under Armour for almost a decade as well. So Spalding and Under Armour already two gigantic brands that you've had some you got to spend a, a very big chunk of your career at learn a lot, network a lot as you work with teams, you work with players, you worked with overseas partners, yeah. as you said, you know, and then what was where was the opportunity to move after? Under Armour. So this is the 2016-ish time frame, if I'm not mistaken. What what was the deciding factor yeah, into, in, into moving to that's, authentic that's brand? Another, I tell you, I, one thing I do have is a lot of stories. <laughs> so in 2015, um, unfortunately, we had uh, an episode in our house where someone had broken into our house while we were home. Oh, which just it now it makes for it makes for a good dinner story, but at the time it was pretty traumatic. So I remember my wife telling me it's you know we've been in Baltimore and we loved every minute of it, but uh, you know it's it's time to go home. 
So at that time, I started looking to go back to New York and uh, again, staying in that sports industry. And I had a couple of, you know, opportunities in different states and we weren't from Baltimore. Obviously, we're from New York. And, um, you know, it was just what's our next step. Right. At that point, my wife and I, we had two little girls um, who were just who were just the best. Um, so it's like, what do we do? Do we, do, I have opportunities in different States. Do we go to Florida? Do we go to Boston? Do we go out West? And ultimately we made the decision to come back to New York. So it was, okay, what's the next step on the sports side? Um, I had an opportunity with authentic brands group. Authentic brands group is a, um, is a brand ownership company and a, and a global marketing company as well. And what they do is they own and operate at this stage. They probably operate about 50 different brands. Um, everything from um, dead celebrities, which they say they own the estates of Marilyn Monroe, Elvis Presley, uh, Michael Jackson, Shaquille O'Neal. Um, they have some fashion brands and they also had sport brands. So the sport brands that they had at the time were Prince and Spider, the, 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 um, the ski wear company, Tree Torn, the old 125-year-old Swedish footwear brand. So it gave me the opportunity to, again, be in sports. Um, and I worked under the Prince and the Spider brand. So uh, coming back to New York was really the goal. That's where my family wanted to be. Um, and we worked with some really, really smart, intelligent people, um, really the art, the artists of the deals. Um, and I know Jamie Salter, who's the CEO of the company, uh, Nick Woodhouse, who's the CMO of the company and, and board member, um, just some really, really great people. John Erlinson is another one that comes to mind, understanding uh, and crafting deals. They were they were deal makers. Um, so I was there for you know a short period of time, probably over two years. But I learned probably more about running and operating a business from from A to Z there than pretty much anywhere in my stop. So really understanding um, business and how to run a business um, from these guys, which was just uh, which was huge. And so so while you're at these other stops, obviously, you were doing a lot of different things at Under Armour and Spalding. But what is it now like essentially being a part of two different brands? Uh, I mean, again, Prince, I'll be honest, I don't know too, too much about Prince, but I have heard of Spider and I understand what they're about. Again, I have to assume Prince is also not in the snowboard ski apparel space. So what was it like kind of being in these two different worlds, essentially, at all times and needing to different strategies and different tactics and different ways of going about things? Was that even more enjoyable yeah. for you or was that just starting to wear down after a little while? Cause that's so much on your plate. Yeah, there was a lot. I and mean, you, you, you talked about with Under Armour, you know, you're wearing 10 different hats with this company. You're probably wearing, you know, 20 different hats because you're, you're a global company. You're working with partners all over the world. You're, you're working on licensing agreements. So you've got the legal side of the business. Um, you're understanding what works in the United States doesn't necessarily work in Japan or, or China or Europe or Latin America. So understanding the world and what goes into different products and different brands in different parts of the world, um, understanding deals, you know, working with licensing agreements to have um, the opportunity for organizations to um, sell your products or create your products um, in different parts of the world. So, again, I think what made me good at the job really was, again, about creating partnerships. Um, a lot of the partners that I have, I've had since my Spalding days, you know. Um, a dear friend of mine, his, uh, he's, he's Korean, and we've worked together since you know 2001. And any chance we have the opportunity to work together on a product or a brand all over the world, we still do. Um, this gentleman, again, one of my dearest friends, when uh, my wife and I got married in, to, oh no, I'm forgetting the year, 2007, I think. Uh, this gentleman flew from Korea. No, I think I nailed it, 2007. I'm sorry, Rob. We're live, though. He That's the only Korea. problem. Ooh. 
2007. December 7th, 2007 is when we got married. He flew from Korea on a Friday, came to our wedding on a Saturday, left on a Sunday to go back home. So it's just, again, it's just about creating partnerships. And you said it earlier, it's about being around good people. And you want to surround yourself with good people that make you better. Um, and I, I think that's at the heart of what I do is creating long lasting partnerships. Um, and I've been able to do that and carry these partnerships to, uh, with every with every brand and, and organization that I've worked with and for. I love it, man. I think that part is very important. And again, you know, surrounding yourself with those people learning a lot. It seems like at each stop along the way, you've also been able to develop, maybe not develop an entire new skill set, but you've been able to learn a lot more and pick up more things along the way and, you know, how to juggle. And as you said, especially with Authentic Brands Group, you know, really how to run the business, not really just worry about the product or how to create the product. You did a lot of that at Under Armour, but you were able to really learn how to run yeah. a business with Authentic Brands Group, which I think is really, really cool. And you know, after they're at Authentic Brand Groups for a couple of years, you end, end up going to New Era Cap. And I apologize before I said caps. And if I'm not mistaken, it's a very hard and fast no S, as our good friend Alex told me. But um, so what was it like, you know, then moving on to New Era Cap for a year and, and really rather, th you know, again, with Prince and Spider, yes, you're in the sports space a little bit, but New Era, I mean, that is when you think of sports, when you think of yeah. baseball caps, like that's easily one of the first brands that comes to mind. How cool is it to go back into like the very super in-depth, super authentic side of the sports industry again. Yeah, I think you know, you hit on it. When you say authenticity, authenticity is a big deal. Um, I think having the opportunity to get back in, into the sports that I love, baseball being one of them, was just an opportunity that I looked forward to to jumping on board with. Um, you know, newer again, using their their rich history and heritage. And they this year, they just celebrated 100 years of, of being in business, you know, four generations of, of cook men, you know, have really created this company from, you know, back in the day where businessmen wear hats um, to ultimately being the authentic side of the business, the authentic side of sports, the authentic cap of Major League Baseball, the NFL, the NBA. Um, I, I, I guess I've always been a storyteller and, and, a, and a person who's who who looks to lean on tradition a little bit and then bring things into kind of a new a new forefront. So having the opportunity to do that with new era was, was awesome. Um, working directly with major league baseball, which is, you know, I hold near and dear to my heart again, growing up as that kid that always wanted to, uh, you know, bat third and play short for the New York Mets. Um, I've always hold that, you know, near and dear to my heart. Um, but with major league baseball, that was, that was the ultimate goal. You know, I've always wanted to work for major league baseball when one was be a player and then ultimately, you know, be part of this, this machine that drives the, you know, the best game in the world. So, Again, to to work with New Era and have the opportunity to work directly with them was awesome. And again, it's creating those partnerships. I've been able to form great partnerships, you know, with with uh, with the teams at Major League Baseball, um, and look look to continue to do so. I think it's great, man. Again, just the super authentic. Yeah. It's like literally when you think of baseball, you need a bat, a glove. Probably you're going to need a hat and a ball. I mean, that's you know, it's one of like the uh, the prerequisites of the game. I think is just fantastic. You know, how many kids forgot their caps at home and their parents had to turn around and go get them again, right? There's just so much of that that goes into it, and I just think it's so darn cool that you did have this opportunity. And so again, you know, we went over a lot of it. We're going to go over what you're doing now a little bit, but just just along the way, 
I mean, working with athletes and entertainers, as I said before, uh, Raekwon of the Wu-Tang Clan, Andre 3000, Mookie Betts, Cam Newton, you know, learning marketing on that global scale. And I say learning because marketing is one of those games that it's continuously changing. So you always have to stay up to date with what's going on. I mean, what like over your career, what was it like? kind of always, you know, as you said, always work like someone's, you know, always play, always work like someone's watching. What was it like always needing to be up to date on everything and always having the opportunity to say, okay, social media is a thing now. Like, how do we take advantage of this at Under Armour? What do we do at New Era? So what was that like, essentially, like kind of, you know, you can go to a degree, get a degree in marketing at school and four years later, most of that stuff's useless anyway. So how how did you take that part of your career and how did you take advantage of always getting to reinvent yourself? Yeah, I think we, um, you know, always having that passion, passion for what you do. Again, you know, there, there, there may be accountants that are so passionate about accounting, they feel like they don't work a day in their lives. I, I'm a sports nut. You know, I've always been that uh, the fan of the game, fan of the athlete, fan of organizations and things like that. So, um, you know, to have that love, uh, I think works for you. Now, something that I've always told, and this is probably the first thing if I interview someone is, you know, once you become a you know, a person who's working in the business of sports, you can't be a fan. That's the first thing you have to lose. So working with athletes and working with organizations, it's a job, you know, it's, it could be a fun job. It could be exciting. It could be a lot of things that, you know, you look forward to doing, but you can't be a fan. You know, you can't lose sight of what you're there to do. Um, Whether it be, you know, this, this past year or in 2019, we shot um, with Nua uh, an amazing commercial, right? We, um, we actually rented out, two subway cars in New York city and we shot overnight. So from five o'clock in the evening to five o'clock in the morning, we shot a commercial with nine, 10, 11 different athletes. Everyone's from, again, we talk about partnership. These guys have become, you know, friends and, and, and great partners. So Francisco Lindor, Ronald Acuna, uh, Justin Turner, um, you know, Didi Gregorius, the list just goes on and on. Um, and it was an amazing opportunity. And there was a lot of people that worked there, but you got to take that fan out. You know, you, you're there for a reason. You're there for a purpose. You got a job to do. At the same time, these are, you know, some of these are your, your childhood heroes, you know, as, as young as you may be, but you, you can't be that fan. You really got to, uh, you know, focus the task at hand and, and do your job. And I think, you know, you, you kind of stole, you stole my next question, but I, I do agree. It's like, you know, having to take yourself out of that and now really not only not be, being able to be a fan. I mean, I'm, again, we've been talking about the Mets this whole time. I'm going to go out on a limb and say you still watch a lot of SMY and you pay attention to the Mets when they're on. But, you know, what is it like not like, as you said, like not being able to kind of. You know, I'm sure you can appreciate these guys when you see them. It's like, hey, Francisco Lindor, I think you're incredible at what you do. Really appreciate it. But not going over the top and, you know, making them feel welcome, I guess, is 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 pretty important. But what about like rooting interests, I guess, right? Like now you're, you're Francisco Lindor jerseys right next to your Pete Alonso jersey, right? So like how does that kind of start to play into it where you're really meeting these guys and, and learning who they are as players and kind of growing an affinity, as you yeah. said, a partnership, a friendship from there? Yeah. And I think that, you know, kind of that thought of not becoming a fan is really more so geared towards, you know, um, guys and girls coming into the industry. You know, if you're coming out of college and your first job is with, you know, a, a league or a team or, or an organization that works with athletes, I think that's where that comment is. And I always use that if I'm, if I'm, uh, you know, interviewing somebody or bringing somebody on board, it's, you know what, you got to take that fan out. But as you go along, you know, in your career, 
you you mature, you grow up. You talked about it earlier. You know, some of these stops, you've learned more. Um, you know, when you leave when you leave an organization and go to another organization, you learn. And once you stop learning, it's a bad, bad situation. So I always another thing I tell people, I tell my girls all the time, is that if you learn one new thing every day, it makes you a smarter person. So whether it's in school, whether it's on the job, whether it's on the field, you know, you really got to strive to continue to learn, to educate yourself and just make yourself better at every stop of the way. So um, I think it really was for those guys and girls just starting out in the industry. But again, it's, a, it's about partnerships. It's about authenticity. It's about trust, I think, is a big word to use with, with athletes, you know, always wanting to have their best interest in heart, but also the interest of the organization you're, you're working for, supporting or representing. Um, so again, it's that trust factor. Um, it's camaraderie, and it really is partnerships. It's creating partnerships that are long lasting. Um, what I love to do is if I'm creating a partnership today, I want to have it tomorrow. I want to have it the next day. I'm not in this for, you know, get in and get out. And that's, that's not my mentality. It's not the way I work or operate. It's about long-term partnerships, really. Absolutely. I mean, that a long-term friendship or long-term yeah. relationship is going to bring back much, much more for both sides than just a short-term quick, Absolutely. hey, how's it going, right? So sure. I think it's important to see sure. how you can bring value to others over that long-term and as well as, you know, hope that eventually they do, you know, hold up their end of the bargain and, uh, you know, rising tide lifts all boats type of situation. I think that's really important. And, you know, you bring up these athletes, you know, we talk about them some more. It's always funny. You know, we talk about like influencer marketing when athletes, again, watching the last dance, athletes were the original influencer, right? Seeing what Michael Jordan did for the NBA sure. and for all these brands, McDonald's and, and Gatorade and kind of the, the Nike brand and what they, they were able to turn that relationship into. How have you kind of looked at athletes in that lens, especially at your time in these, you know, very sports heavy places, Spalding, Under Armour, New Era? How are you able to take advantage of this athlete as an influencer, especially with the rise of social media while you're at Under Armour and then pretty much with it being, you know, next to commonplace, especially at places when you're at New Era? I think it goes back to authenticity. You know, you, you look, if you're marketing with athletes, um, you know, you can have an athlete in a car or you can have an athlete selling flowers or really anything, any, any type of business or pitch man. But to me, it's got to be authentic. It's got to be a reason for being, you know, you use an athlete for a particular reason. Um, you know, thinking about recent, um, you know, marketing trends where, you know, I had the opportunity to build a, a program around Mother's Day last year. And, and some of the athletes, again, this is relationships that you have and you, you find, you know, Didi Gregorius is, is, a, is a great example. Um, he's got this wonderful, wonderful relationship with his mother. You know, his mother was a championship softball player in Curacao. Um, you know, and he, he learned a lot of his baseball skills from his mother. So one thing we did last year was an opportunity to showcase him and his mother during Mother's Day, work with Major League Baseball, work with New Era to create, you know, a specific Mother's Day cap. But it really is a 360 degree approach. You take that athlete, you have an authentic reason for being, you talk about Mother's Day, you bring his mother involved, you create a product around Mother's Day. So again, it's really about authenticity and being authentic to one, the athlete, and really to the to the consumer. And it's not, you're not just selling a product, you're you're sharing a story. And, and that's what makes for, for good marketing. That's what good, makes for good social marketing. And ultimately, if you're selling a product, there's a reason for selling it. You know, you're not just throwing another product in, into the mix. So um, authenticity and, and being authentic to everyone involved, including the consumer. Um, I think that's where it's at. I love it, man. I think you've done so much cool stuff. And the, the before we move on to what you're doing now with expert meetings and events, I, I brought it up a couple of times, just kind of teasing it, but you didn't take the bait. So now I'm just going to go out and say it. 
what were you doing with the Wu-Tang Clan and how how did you get Raekwon on some of this stuff? What what I gotta know, man. I gotta know. <laughs> it goes back to it goes back to friendships and partnerships. I have a dear friend, his name is Christian Pascal. He's been in the music business and restaurant business for for many, many years. As a matter of fact, if we talk about my wedding on uh, December seventh, two thousand and seven. Yes, Ooh. we got it. All right, we're good. I got it more than I think you do at this point. He was actually in my wedding, so I've been friends with this with this uh, with this great guy for many many years. Um, him being in the music finish industry, he's always the guy who's like, I'm the sport guy. He's the music guy. If I have something in sports that I think would work with him, I always push people to him, and and same way with him. And one day he says, listen. You got to meet my boy. You got to meet Raekwon. Um, he loves New Era. He wants to come up and see you. And um, ultimately, we first met at the Hunt and Fish Club, a uh, w- wonderful restaurant in, in Midtown. And that's where we should go and have that beer. Um, and we met Raekwon, who just could not be a nicer guy. But again, he was a fan of a product. He's a New Era guy, right? And that was that's part of his, his being. So ultimately, I got him. He also has a residence in Toronto. He just opened up a shop called Purple Six. Oh, I'm gonna butcher this. So, uh, Purple Six Twelve, which is really kind of an authentic shop to him. He's got, you know, uh, clothing. He's got Supreme and Newer and brands like that. He's got a barbershop within the shop. Um, so he came up to Bal- He came up to uh, to Buffalo at the time, is where Newer is, um, and we be- we become friends. And you know, ultimately, again, you create those partnerships, which turn into friendships. And, uh, and they'll last for as long as you can, uh, you know, be good to it. Right. Uh, but a real good guy. I got a ball there that says, uh, love you, bro. It's one of my favorite balls. It says, love you, bro. Raekwon, the chef. <laughs> Dude, that is awesome. It, there's a barbershop in there. Does he have a restaurant in his shop as well? I mean, he has to, right? No. It's got to be the coolest shop I've seen in a very long time. So you can shop there. You can buy, you know. You know, I don't know, a $500 Supreme sweatshirt, but you can also get a nice fade at the same time. So it's just a very unique uh, business, but it's very true to him. Very true to him and his and his guys. So it's good stuff. I love you gotta it, man. You got to check I'm, it out. I'm, uh, now, yeah, I <laughs> next time I'm in Toronto, I will make sure to go and I'll ask uh, for Raekwon. Uh, Rob sent me and hopefully uh, hopefully he's okay with that. I hope, I hope. Purple 611. That's what it's. It's in Toronto. It's near the arena. Um, check it out. It's pretty, it's pretty fantastic. I love it, man. That's good stuff. And, and awesome. Well, thank you for all that. And so now let's talk about what you're doing a little bit now. It seems like it's kind of a, you know, I'm, I'm really curious because it doesn't seem like really anything else that you've done up to this point, which is interesting. Yeah. So you're now with expert meetings and events. You're the vice president of sports marketing and partnerships, um, meetings yeah. and events, two things that we're not allowed to have right now in this weird, weird world we live in. So sure. I guess, Say the world's spinning on its axis and everything's the way it's supposed to be. What exactly do you do at this company and how have you been able to incorporate sports into it? Well, let me get, I'll, I'll give you a little history on the company. So there was a, um, a wonderful woman who I married on December 7th, 2007. Uh, my wife created um, expert meetings and events. And the good thing about that, you know, she left, uh, she's been in the hotel industry for, for many, many years was super, super, super good at her jobs uh, every step along the way. She worked at the Ritz-Carlton for many years, boutique hotel companies. And in 2000, around 2000, and uh, I would say 2000, and, hmm, trying to think how long. The company's been in business for about six, seven, eight years. Um, years ago, she came to me and says, listen, would you support my decision if I left this job to start this company? 
And I said, listen, if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be you. My wife is a sweetheart, but she's a bulldog. And I said, if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be you. So she started this company and I've been able to assist in a very small way. When I was with Under Armour, I would make an introduction. So what she's been able to do is to create, again, long-standing partnerships of booking events for different brands. So she books events for everything from Under Armour, New Era, um, uh, Steph Curry, uh, and the Department of Defense, which is which is great. You can see the, the, how she runs the gamut in the term in the types of um, you know clients that she has. Um, so I've been able to do little things when I've had when I've worked at Under Armour, when I worked at Authentic Brand Group, when I worked at Newer and places like that. So now I've taken more of a uh, of an approach where diving headfirst into this sort of creating a sports centric side of the business, you know, coming from these different brands and thinking about all these events that I've been a part of, whether creating the event, being part of the event, uh, Major League Baseball All-Star Game, um, the Super Bowl, um, NFL Experience, the NFL Combine, just different things that I've been a part of um, and knowing that different brands and partners go to these events. Well, how do you get there? Well, you've got to fly. You need hotel reservations. You need meeting space and planning space and things like that. So, um, just taking a page from her book, again, learning about the industry from her, which I've done along the way, um, really trying to create a sports-centric side of the business um, to create these events for brands that she's been doing for many years um, and just kind of um, increasing the, the reach in, on the sports side. So it's been, it's been pretty cool. So I've been able to do it, you know, as a side job for many years, but now jumping into it, um, you know, head first, it's pretty exciting, pretty exciting. That is awesome. You guys are just a... Uh, uh husband wife team that are absolutely killing it i think it's such a cool thing and i guess so because it's been around for a little while as you said six seven eight years whatever that number is and and you kind of have been assisting for a little while i guess what why was when you started i i apologize i did not write that date down but why what what made you say okay you know what i'm kind of done with the the corporate life you know and new era was great and and raekwon is a great friend i don't need anything else from this i got everything i wanted um so what was it to why did you make the leap to say, you know what, let's, I'm going to come on full time and, and we're going to crush it together. Um, I tell you, you know what, being home, it's, it's interesting being home for the last couple of months, you, you kind of check your priorities. And, you know, when I was working at New Era, I was actually commuting to Buffalo. So I was getting on a plane on a Tuesday morning, flying up to Buffalo Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then flying home on a Thursday night. Um, and that was without travel, you know, with, with this, with this brand, there's a lot of travel to different cities and states and things like that. Um, but being home, you realize, you know, I've got, again, two little girls that are nine and 10 years old. Um, you prioritize things in your life and you, you know, what's important to you. And just missing that time with my girls, it's like, I, I, I can't do this anymore. I can't, I don't know if I was doing it because I was being a little selfish because I love the organization. I love the partners that, 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 that we had and relationships we created. Um, but I just, I just couldn't do it. So during this whole pandemic and being, being here with my girls and being their teacher, now I'm, I'm homeschooling, you know, five days a week. Um, and I'm not an easy teacher, but we're having fun with it. You just, you, you prioritize things in your life. So the ability to be able to be home a lot more, um, to assist in the creation of this organization that's, you know, that's eight years in, um, it's been pretty fantastic. So it's, you know, I'm not closing the door to other opportunities, but at this stage of my career, um, we're just really expanding and, and growing and doing super well. And again, I'm just, I'm the worker. My wife is the brains of the operation. Um, so anyway, any, any way I can assist and bring business to, to our organization has been fantastic. 
I love it, man. I think that's so cool, especially, be, you know, as you said, we have all checked our priorities the last couple of months and we've all kind of, if you haven't already leaned into what you want to do for the rest of your life, or at least for the, the time being. And for me, that's getting to talk to cool people like you through this microphone with a red light on. So I've been thoroughly enjoying that. And I guess for, for these last couple of months, as I said before, you know, expert meetings and events, like those are two things we're not really allowed to do anymore unless they're virtual in some capacity. So how have you guys been able to pivot and I guess if, if you don't mind, we'll stick to the sports space a little bit. I'm sure your wife's as incredible as, as you make her out to be. I'm sure she's come up with some really cool ideas. But what have you been doing on the sports side to try and keep everything tied in and keep that you know revenue at least coming in, considering now it's both of your both of you work at this company, so we really, really need it to do well. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you you have to evolve like any 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 business, right? Um, if you don't evolve, you're going to die. Um, that's that's kind of a, a thought that I've always heard. Um, so from her perspective, you know, again, I always go back to those those partnerships, those long term partnerships, doing well by your clients and your customers. Um, what's going on for her current clients and customers is the good thing is no one's canceling a lot. You know, things will open up. So you see a lot of postponements. You, you see, you know, any events or, or meetings that were booked for June and July are now pushing out to September, October. So. Um, again, it really, really starts with those relationships to create those relationships and those partnerships to know that you're doing your best for your client, your client's doing their best for you um, and working through this thing together. You know, ultimately on the sports side, we will open up. Things will open up. It's going to be different. I don't think it'll ever be the same. Um, and that may ne not necessarily be a bad thing. We're learning every day. We're learning what we don't need and what we do need and how to make ourselves better. On the sports side, again, things will open up. People are going to travel. People are going to see games. When that is, you know, it kind of remains to be seen, um, but it will open up, right? So you need to evolve. You need to pivot. You need to work with organizations to say you are going to have, you know, you have all these these uh, meetings and plans planned out for June, July. Let's work with you to figure out what does it look like? What does the landscape look like in September, October, November? What about 2021? So it's really about offering offering solutions to problems that organizations are going to are going to have that are in the midst of it and just creating solutions to those problems and being again being a strong partner. I love it, man. Rob, this has been absolutely fantastic. I sincerely appreciate your stories, your insight. I'm sure we could go on for another two hours just about what you did at Under Armour by itself. But I, I this has been incredible. Rob Narvez, VP of Sports Marketing and Partnerships at Expert Meetings and Events. Huge Mets fan, all around great guy. Rob, appreciate your time today, man. Michael, thanks so much. I've been watching your your podcast over the last month or so. And uh you do a great job, and it, it's nice to listen to to stories. Again, being a storyteller yourself, um, it's nice to hear people in the industry hearing their stories. Uh, it just makes us better. That's what great I'm job. shooting for. That's what I'm shooting for. I sincerely appreciate it. And now you can add your name to the illustrious list of the guests that I've had. But no, sincerely, sincerely appreciate it, Rob. Thank you. All right, Michael. Take care. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode with Rob. As I said, just such a cool dude. It was such a fun conversation getting to hear all the cool, cool things he's done and, and earned the opportunity to do, of course. I truly believe in that. So please make sure to go follow Rob on all of his socials. Everything will be in the show notes. Please make sure to give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to, but preferably if it's on Apple, that would be the most helpful. So thank you all so much for your time. It's the only thing we don't get more of, and I appreciate you giving me some of yours, and I hope you make it a wonderful day. Yes.